and welcome to the Social Media and Activism Podcast. Welcome to the Social Media and Activism Podcast. My name is Ben and I'm a student from the Manchester Metropolitan University. In this podcast series, I will be speaking to various activists about the work they do and how they use social media to try and get a first-hand account of the ways in which various platforms such as Facebook and Twitter are used and the effect they have on those involved. Having grown up in the early 2000s and the 2010s, I've watched the technological world around me change. Human interaction now is completely different to how it was 10 years ago. So I want to see how this has changed activism. Each episode will contain an interview with someone who is involved with activism to dive into their experiences of using social media and the ways they want to enforce change. In the first episode, I'll be speaking to Chris, a PhD student from the University of Manchester. Without further ado, let's get into the interview. So today I'm joined by Chris, a sociology student from the University of Manchester. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you today, Chris. Well, hello there and uh, thanks for having me on. Happy to join you. So Chris, just tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So um, my name is uh, Chris War. I'm a PhD student in the School of Sociology at the University of Manchester. And my research is about sexual politics and gender dynamics within radical left wing groups. So that's kind of political groups that kind of to the left of the Labour Party, lots of kind of grassroots activist groups and so on and so forth. And I am interested in kind of how sort of sexual politics play out within these organisations, both in terms of like, you know, what people get up to in meetings when they're engaging in demonstrations, but also in online spaces as well. So what made you want to get involved with all of this in the first place? So I've been involved in kind of left-wing politics most of my adult life since I sort of became more sort of interested in political stuff when I was a teenager. And, you know, I, I'm a member of the Labour Party, but I was always drawn towards kind of groups a bit to the left of Labour, kind of grassroots activist uh, movements, kind of socialist movements, anti-war movements, that kind of thing. But what always struck me was that... When I was often in kind of, I suppose, what you would call left-wing spaces, it felt like there was something there was something that wasn't quite right. And I think that was generally about kind of matters like sexual politics. Like, I remember being a teenager and witnessing times when, you know, I'd be in a sort of leftist meeting space and men would be talking over women, you know, people would be getting misgendered, that kind of thing. And that got me interested in kind of thinking about, well, well, how does how does gender and sex fit into the sort of political ideas of these spaces? So that's what sort of my initial academic interest in it. And it led me to uh, get involved a few years ago in a project called Salvage Collective. Now, what Salvage Collective is, is it's a group of kind of academics and activists. So it's kind of split between, you know, intellectuals and kind of people who are involved in this these these sorts of movements and all of them had sort of come together and said well okay there's something going on here right there's something odd and perhaps a little bit troubling about sexual politics on the left 
and we want to figure out what that is. So we set up the project in, I think it was about sort of early 2016, with a view to not just kind of like trying to understand this for, you know, from an, from an intellectual perspective, but also to try and find ways to help kind of activist groups improve the movements that they're in, like develop new accountability processes and stuff like that. What would you say the overall goals for your cause are and, you know, why should people care about this cause? From the beginning, we actually got quite a lot of traction. And I think that was because we came into being as a sort of cause, if you like, shortly after what was something that's quite infamous in the history of the British left, though I, I'm not sure how well it's known outside of activist circles, which was something called the Comrade Delta scandal. Now, what that basically was, was there's a left-wing group called the Socialist Workers' Party. It used to be very, very big, very, very prominent. Uh, and in, in about sort of 2014, 2015, it emerged that the party had covered up an allegation of sexual violence, which was made by a teenage girl against one of the sort of leading figures in the party. It emerged that, you know, kind of a lot of party members have been complicit in trying to suppress the, the sort of allegation. People who discussed the, the matter were sort of, you know, were being told, were being kicked out of the party. So there was very much a kind of zeitgeist, like if you like, um, at the time we set up where people were sort of waking up to the fact that there might have been a problem around sexism. I remember when we, we first sort of made our first tentative steps, if you like, you know, kind of using social media or just bringing it up even on the basic level, just in the pub with people saying, oh, hey, you know, we're a group of activists and academics who want to understand this. It was actually really good and simultaneously bad that we got so much kind of input. Good in the sense it was brilliant for our research, but bad in the sense of, you know, as activists, it sort of highlighted that the problem was there was a lot more going on. Chris, you mentioned there about the Salvage Collective, the project that you were heavily involved with. Could you just explain to the listeners some of the work that you did for them and how you used social media as a tool for activism? Sure, of course. The main thing that I uh, sort of contributed to was kind of the, the writing of a couple of reports we did just about sexual politics within the left and also helping design workshops that we could deliver with various activist groups about the issue and so on and so forth. But a lot of my work did involve the use of social media. At a very basic level, when we first started out, we were a very small group. And one of the things I found myself doing a lot of in the early days of the organisation was using social media to kind of network with other academics and, and activists who were who had sort of come to these, the same conclusions, right? So a lot of my initial use of social media was about building up a network of people who were going to contribute to the overall aims of the project. Uh, in terms of other social media use, we have, uh, we started a blog and we were trying to basically create that blog as a central sort of hub for kind of our research but also for sort of if you like toolkits 
for activists who were concerned about kind of sexual politics and gender dynamics in their movements. But it was also meant to be a space where, you know, people who had been affected could tell their stories, you know, they could do so partly to raise awareness about the matter, but also have a chance to talk about an issue which I think is often quite overlooked. Uh, one of the things I was using social media for particularly as well when it came to sort of gathering, if you like, the like data around the topic was using things like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit to try and reach out to people and say, well, okay, has, have, has anyone been affected by these issues? So for a lot of what we did on social media was about recruitment. And I think, you know, I, I'm sure we'll come on to discuss this later, but I think that one of the, the benefits that social media has for both academics and activists is that ability to kind of create networks. So did you find that activism on social media was successful for the Salvage Collective? That's a really good question. I think that social media was a good way to kind of sort of start a conversation about these topics, but I think that I'm 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 all of the belief that social media has its role in activism, but I don't think it should be just seen in isolation. So I think social media had a role to play in kind of, you know, making connections with people, but ultimately social media action always needs to be followed up with practical in-person or I suppose at this point in our lives kind of online other forms of online communication so you know like where we use social media to promote what we did to kind of network if you like but where I felt we were most successful is where you know an activist group might invite us to come and do a workshop with them that would help to, to sort of set up a sort of precedent for lasting um, lasting change. Uh, equally with social media, you know, I, 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 I take the view that there's this, there's a little bit of an over-exaggeration about how widely any sort of conversation you start on social media is going to go, if that makes sense. Social media algorithms do create, to an extent, a little bit of an echo chamber. So, like, you know, I, I think about my own personal Twitter feed. When I'm talking about gender politics and the left, which is my research area... I'm going to get a lot of kind of positive comments about that because people who follow me on Twitter are people who are left wing and interested in gender politics, right? The accounts that I get recommended to follow are similarly along the lines of, you know, my interests. Equally, like, we've got to be aware as well of, I don't like this word, but it's the word I'm going to use, the phenomenon of slacktivism. As I said, I think social media has a very important role to play, but I see an element of truth in that statement because I think... If, you're, if I were to reflect on the impact we had as Salvage Collective, I think we saw that through our workshops, the academic reports we put out. You know, I'm still getting, you know, emails to this day from a paper we wrote in 2017 from, you know, academics who found it on Google Scholar and have gotten interested in what we do, which is brilliant. But, you know, social media played a role in that. But, it, you know, it, I would say our impact was, was from other kind of features of, of what we did. So if we just sat there and kind of posted stuff on social media, I don't think we would have accomplished what we what we did in the time that we were active. So how did it feel to, to hear that positive feedback on the academic work that you've done? I, I, you know, I think any person who's written an academic article is always going to be delighted when people get in touch with you and say, oh, could you tell me more about the research? Without social media, uh, we would perhaps not have had that reach. You know, I guess you know it made me feel I was I was happy when I got people getting in touch because you know it suggests to me that there's, there's certainly a need for this kind of research we're doing and this kind of activism. 
But it also, I would say on the flip side, it made me think, well, I'm mainly getting emails from people in the academic community about this, right? I personally have not had as much kind of sort of positive feedback from activists. And those are the people who we really need to be speaking to, right? Yeah, yeah, we want to generate new ways of understanding sexual politics on the left, but we also want to be making connections with your local branch of Extinction Rebellion, for example. Perhaps it's big, again, comes down to sort of like the fact that, you know, social media networks only have so much reach that you're never going to reach all of the people you want to talk to uh, just from what you share on social media. So mixed feelings, though broadly positive, I would say. You know, I think this is definitely something that I've seen in my time in being involved with activism, but have you found that there's a difference between the traditional media and social media, you know, the way that it's, you know, reported on and the way people see it? Yeah, I think that social media and traditional media, if you like, can often offer two sort of side-by-side narratives when it comes to activism. So I'll give you a recent example of this. So you're probably aware that there's been a lot of protests recently about the police and crime bill, which is obviously has some pretty uh, pretty scary implications for our right to protest. It sort of came to a flashpoint where there was some there was some unrest in Bristol a couple of days back. And I remember when I, I read, you know, the traditional media accounts of that, as soon as I'd read those accounts, I was found myself immediately going on Facebook and Twitter, almost as if social media offers a way to add additional facts that might be overlooked by the traditional media. Social media is offering a kind of an additional narrative to what you might get in the traditional media. But equally, you've also got to be aware that there's a lot of, well, just nonsense uh, on social media, particularly when it comes to activism. Pretty much every kind of activist cause I've been involved in, particularly when I've been involved in like organising big demonstrations or like, you know, know, when I was an undergraduate organising occupations um, back during... Because my, my political involvement really began with the tuition fee protest back in sort of 2010s. We might try and get information out on social media, but there would always be people who would share misinformation. And because, if you like, everyone is on a sort of semi-equal footing, it became very easy for people who were opposed to the movement to kind of muddy the waters, if you like. But equally still, I do find myself turning to social media when I read about activism just because I feel like with there's no the traditional media in this country I think does have quite a lot of biases to it and it generally doesn't really give the grassroots perspective as much which is something you are going to be able to get um, admittedly with some potential scepticism from from social media So generally speaking, how have you personally found using social media as a tool for activism? So again, my answer would be positive with some slight mixed feelings. Positive in the sense that, like uh, like I said earlier, with Salvage Collective, we would not have been able to build up that network of people who were going to take the time to research and do activism around the issues that we were concerned about were it not for social media. I, I distinctly remember when I was first, you know, when we first set up our social media accounts and we were posting this sort of giddy feeling of people being like, oh, I run this group in, like, uh, you know, Norwich, and we've been talking about these issues. Oh, well, I'm in um, Glasgow and we've also been talking about these issues. Like, this is amazing, right? This is a brilliant way of kind of feeling like you're building a movement. I think there's, uh, it's good that we can form those connections online, which for our maybe our parents' generation would have been a lot harder. 
I think as well, it's a good way of keeping up to date with kind of live development. So to go, as I said, we set up Salvage Collective after the Comrade Delta scandal in the Socialist Workers' Party. And I remember when that was happening, I followed a lot of what was happening on social media, partly because the traditional media didn't really pick up on it. But it gave me a sort of lie, but just because I knew activists in the SWP who were posting about this, who were having those discussions online, it meant that I could keep up to date on what was going on. And I ended up writing some of my master's research on the issue, which was, you know, so it was helpful having social media from a research perspective, but also as an activist, it helped me realise that there was a need to discuss kind of gender politics and the radical left, right, in a critical way. In terms of negative, or not so much negatives, but downsides to it, you always have to just be a little bit careful with the information you you find on social media. And I'm thinking, particularly, I've 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 encountered this with websites like Twitter and Reddit because uh, both Twitter and Reddit have a degree of disposability, if you like, to the accounts you can create. So often when we were having discussions or like when, for example, with Salvage Collective, when we were trying to like reach out for information, we would we'd pick up on something or someone would start messaging us and then we'd look into it and it would become fairly obvious that this was not a reliable source of information. Similarly with Reddit, you know, Reddit accounts, you can create multiple ones from the same address and jump, jump between them at will. So if you're doing activism that is reliant on a lot of on accurate information, particularly around a very sensitive issue, you have got to be aware that there are going to be people out there who will feed you misinformation. That's That's also something to be aware of. Did you or anyone involved in the Salvage Collective ever find yourself receiving any backlash at all? Like people just sort of hating on you? Yeah, yeah. Um, With Salvage Collective, we did get some unexpected backlash. And I I remember while we did have initially and, you know, throughout much of the project, we had a lot of support. We had a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's great you're talking about this. We want to help. We did sometimes get accused of very bizarre things like i remember we we had a series of sort of messages and and sort of comments on social media for a period which were accusing us of being tory stooges right we were just using our concern about sort of sexism and homophobia and transphobia and stuff to undermine the left and i think that's a lot easier to do on social media you know to have that kind of very knee-jerk very reactionary response than you would do in reality. I would like to think that the people who were claiming that, you know, you know, people who were saying stuff like that, I don't think they would have said it to our faces. I think if we'd been face to face, we could have had a reasonable discussion about why they might be reacting in a backlash to us and, you know, why we were doing what we were doing. But I think that level of anonymity on social media, it leads you to want to perhaps be a little bit more reactionary then you might well do so chris i now want you to sum up social media as a tool for activism in one word Ooh, one word that's tricky um i'm gonna go for promising but if i uh, if i were to put any punctuation I put it promising in inverted commas because, well, for the reasons I've sort of discussed, because your reach is limited um, unless you're willing to put the effort in. Also, like, you do need to have kind of in real life actions. 
and as I was sort of saying, you know, in, in, with the last question, uh, I and a lot of other people do have a genuine concern about sort of interference by social media companies in activist speech. So yes, there are definitely, I, I think there are definitely promising aspects to social media uh, within activism, but I'm whole, I'm hedging my bets just in case the, the way that activists can use social media becomes very limited in the next sort of few years. I hope it doesn't, but it could do. Okay, so finally, I just want to know what you think should or can change in the future to make activism on social media better. I think it comes down to two things, which is... Now, one of these things is, I think, a change that you need to have within people, which is probably going to be the harder thing to do, right? It does seem to me that there is an endemic problem in social media, and not just with social media and activism, where people are maybe acting ways that are a little bit inauthentic and it certainly are very respectful. One thing I would love to see in social media in general, particularly in activist social media, is sort of encouragement of kind of authenticity and respect. And I say particularly in, in activist social media because my view is that if you're doing activism, you should treat people in a comradely and respectful way. Even if you disagree with them, you know, you, you, you debate, you discuss, you figure it out, because ultimately the big question is not who's gonna win this little argument, the big question is how do we make the world a better place? I would also like to see ways in which social media algorithms didn't create what I suppose we now all refer to as echo chambers, you know, and I think it is important to expose yourself to that perspective, you know, even if it, it might, you might find it distasteful, even if you think it's completely morally wrong, you need to understand it so you can combat it. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, actually, that you've made there. I mean, a few points, obviously, but one of the things I want to sort of touch on that you kind of said there, but didn't really say is that... You know, it's it's so easy to get caught up in all of the noise that happens online. And one thing I like to say is that it's almost like everyone's shouting, but there's no one ever listening. So it all just turns into a big noise. And I think, yeah, it is important to to not get caught up in that because otherwise the whole point does get lost. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a space for being angry on s social media and shouting when it is a legitimate reason, right? You know, like if if I see someone spewing like anti-Semitic hate on fa on Facebook, I am going to have a go at them, right? Because that's vile and unacceptable. But I think you know we there's something about social media that makes us very quick to want to kind of yeah, just I think you put it very eloquently there, shout but not listen, uh, and having that respectful space. A critical space, certainly, but a respectful space is is very important um, for, I would say, yeah, not just activism, but just general online communication and etiquette. So I think that's everything for today, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, really enjoyed it. So there you have it. That was my chat with Chris, who I think raised some really good points about online regulation and the ways that activists interact across various social media platforms. But that concludes the first episode of the series. Thank you so much for listening, and please do join me in the next episode, where I will be looking into how activism can become a form of marketing across social media. 